Welcome to the LPP Podcast. LPP is the Life Process Program, a non-12-step program for people who want to ameliorate addiction and addiction-related issues in their lives. And by the way, when I say addiction, I don't mean only drug and alcohol involvements, but also addiction to love, sex, gambling, pornography, gaming, technology, a whole range of other experiences. To learn more about our program or to check out free resources like articles, videos, blogs, and podcast episodes like this one related to solving addiction-related problems, visit our website at lifeprocessprogram.com or follow us on social media using any of the links in the show notes. You're listening to a segment called MMA, Monday Morning Ammunition. Some of our shows are long-form interviews. Monday Morning Ammunition episodes are weekly, short, educational segments that you might listen to during your Monday morning routine or your Monday morning commute. Today, you will hear part six of an eight-part discussion that I recorded with LPP creator, Dr. Stanton Peel. You may wonder, why are there eight separate segments? And that's because our program consists of eight modules, each of which encourage participants to think critically about different dimensions of their lives and what it is that they'd like to accomplish. So today, we discuss module six, social support. Enjoy the show. It's so important that people are connected. Johan Hari wrote a very well-selling book about this. You can't avoid it. I mean, we need each other in some respect. So we have a whole module dedicated to talking about getting the right kind of support. Just for background on that, would you talk about how people in general are influenced by and, and then learn from our familiar social groups, the people who are our friends, colleagues, cohort, uh, members of our family, et cetera. And, and how do these attitudes that people in these groups have extend to us about and how we were learned to rely on our addictions to solve problems for us? Well, let me give uh, two examples. Uh, this ties into uh, skills and being positive. Uh, you're aware, I know I did an interaction with a bunch of kids who were doing a video. Um, there were four kids and they were doing a video about gaming addiction. And in line with being positive and eliciting their own skills, I said, well, how would you deal with a friend who was tending to wrap themselves up in uh, video games and not seeing other people? How would you be able to deal with that? And that put it in terms that they were aware of. Mm. Uh, somewhere along the line, I said, you know, to lead a successful life, you have to have a positive skill that you can make a living with and that other people respect. And I say, you guys are doing that with this video. And then the other thing that segued into was there were a group of four boys in high school who were collaborating on doing this rather ambitious video project. They were going to make a video about gambling addiction, beginning with or including interviewing me. And all four of them came in at different points to ask questions covering different facets. And I got to make the joke, are there any more of you back there? Because, you know, <laughs> keep popping out. And yeah. guy appeared and then another guy appears. Is that about it? It's sort of like the clown's car. And then I was able to compliment them. I say, well, you know, being able, this is a pretty ambitious project. First, just the tech, getting me, asking me questions, just doing the technical stuff, and then melding this all into a film. If you can work with other people, that's a fabulous, necessary set of skills. So 
one thing we're aware of, you're, I mean, I know in a, in a way, every time you deal with a child, you know you're dealing with a family. I know the way you think is, well, my job isn't to be their lifetime therapist right. or helper or right. counselor. My job is to help them create a supportive family. And that's very much how I think about therapy or coaching. I'm always asking the question, um, well, what does your spouse say? Or what does your child or what does your parents say? And I'm doing that for a couple of reasons. They're, I'm going at some point. They're going to have to go back and deal with this other person. I once watched an unusually insightful special years ago where they took a kid out of the family who was having a lot of problems and they had some coach who was able to work with them and curb their enthusiasm, their negative enthusiasm. And in every case, within a couple of weeks, once they were back in the family of origin, their behavior had totally relented, it totally relapsed. Mm. So obviously, you're not helping a person or influencing a person if you're not allowing them to go back into your normal social milieu and to function there. So I constantly, one thing I notice about myself is I'm constantly saying, if the person's there, I say, well, what do you think about that to their spouse? Or if they're not there, uh, I say, well, what does your spouse say about that? Or how will they feedback on this? And, you know, one answer a person gives is I have no idea. And then, of course, I say, well, perhaps you should ask them because they're pretty critical in all of this. So in a way, everything that we do is family therapy. And so we have adjuncts to our own treatment of people to say, well, you know, we can get family members. When I had a residential treatment program, um, we had a workbook that we sent home to the family. And my partners at the time said, well, that's blaming somebody else for their own problem. And I said, well, I don't see it that way. I see it as a way of preparing the groundwork for when they get home to be able to deal with the members of their ongoing social group in a positive way. And that's very much how we think, which is the opposite when you think about it of an AA type support group. An AA type support group says, oh, your obligation, your commitment is to this group here. And that's a strange way of looking at things. You're not being prepared to be an AA member for life. Hopefully you're not. You're not being prepared to join a group or enter therapy for life. You're being prepared to be able to deal with the world outside of therapy. And that involves real relationships. And so one last segue I'd like to make is you can get support from people not to do addictive things, not to drink or take drugs. And you can get that at an NA or an AA group. But there are a lot of groups where people don't do those things. Church groups, for example, or stamp collector groups or hiking groups. People aren't generally taking drugs and drinking when they're hiking. And one last way of looking at that is, we talk about this with children all the time, peer approval. Well, peer approval, they have to learn how to resist peer pressure. Okay. But the more fundamental question is, well, who are their peers? Who are they hanging out with? I do drink alcohol, but the people I drink alcohol with are positively involved people. They have families, they have work, they're concerned about other human beings, 
when we drink alcohol, let's have a good time and have positive interactions with each other. I don't deal with people who themselves are drinking alcohol in a problematic or a negative cycle way. And so we're very much focused on how you deal with groups, but also who you select to spend your time with. This sounds dichotomous, and I know that it's not, but here's a question that gets brought up often. It's that, okay, you know that you sort of have to incorporate social involvements that already exist in your life into that, whatever you want to call it, recovery process or the betterment of your life or living a non-addicted life. You can't just go away somewhere and in that microcosm of your life make changes and then come back to life with no plan to integrate that with the people that you already are engaged with. Exactly. Um, some people feel, well, this is tough. I either have to engage with these people and it's never going to get better or, or I can just cut some people out of my life. And some people, it's easy to say, obviously there are people who are not constructive in my life. They're only destructive. So that's sort of an easy way to pivot away from them and toward you know, the people who are actually involved in a positive way. Some people have gone back to the people that they're involved with and say, none of these people are supportive. They feel they can feel like they're left with two choices. Am I going to do something like AA or am I going to just be a loner? And a lot of times when people come to the LPP, at that point, they've already, they've already said that AA is not working for them for whatever reason. So sorry for the long-windedness. You see where I'm getting at. Sometimes people no, volunteer and say, really and they people. say, on one hand, the group that is supposedly made for ameliorating addiction, which is AA, is not helpful to me. And the people in my life, the people in my life are not helpful to me. Why can't I just be a loner? Is that the best option? Well, uh, I don't want to be biased against being alone. Obviously, we're talking at a very funny time in the history of the world where a lot of people are forced to be spent a lot of time alone. Mm. Um, I don't want to make an ironclad rule of it, but generally speaking, when people are alone, they're more inclined, most people, to do negative things. So, I mean, one of the things we talk about in LPP is developing a skill of being alone. And we do, we do have meditation and mindfulness exercises that allow you to do that. I guess a lot of people are running through that right now when they're spending considerably more time alone than they ever are ordinarily doing. And there's even a possibility the world's going to change in some ways to make it less likely that people enter groups. So being alone, we call a skill. Um, on the other hand, we're not advocating for aloneness. In general, um, a positive sign of life is being able to form constructive relationships. You know, I go back to Freud. If Freud said, what is mental health? It's to love and to work. Yeah. And so, you know, um, certainly at certain points in your life, um, I know you have a daughter a little over a year old. That kind of fits into the normal framework of life. We're not, there are people we deal with all the time who don't have children, who aren't in fixed relationships, and we recognize that, we accept it, and we support people. On the other hand, being able to form constructive relationships is a positive skill that we like people to be able to develop. We like them also to be able to develop an ability to get involved with groups of people other than 
addiction therapy groups as a way of expanding, you know, what is it you like to do? Do you like to hike? Do you like to be politically active? Do you like to focus on skills like woodworking? Do you like to fly air? I mean, in general, people have some kind of repertoire of things they like to do that can be plugged into groups. And we want and hope that people will be parts of communities. In general, we find that community support is, it's not like oxygen that you can't live without it, but in general, it's a fundamental success predictor for people. People will do better if they have more people counting on them, uh, more people who they can turn to for help, if they can have intimate relationships, if they can express and experience love, if they have other people to talk to in meaningful ways, those are all positive predictors. And, you know, uh, this uh, coronavirus is coming at a funny time. I mean, they do surveys all the time where they ask people something like, do you have anybody you can share your problems with? And that number seemingly always gets larger. There's some large percentage of adults in America and children as well who don't have those kinds of relationships, like 30 and 40 percent. And so one unknown in our current environment, and people are writing about what is video game addiction for kids. What's that all about? Or electronic addiction. And in many cases, there's a picture that people present of a child who sort of never leaves their house. That used to be kind of a psychopathology, but we sort of had already begun to live in a world, you know, kids used to hang around at um, malls and parents could worry about what that meant. But now there's a kind of a bedroom-oriented world Mm. where many teenagers rarely see anybody other than at the other end of an electronic device. And this whole epidemic now has made that almost a worldwide characteristic. So we're going to come out at the other end of this, some people think possibly, with a whole brave new world. And that's one area, relationships and intimacy, that we haven't figured out yet. Now, obviously, we're in the Life Process Program, which is an online program. We don't actually sit in a room with people. So on the one hand, we're in a demonstration of that development. On the other hand, we hope, and we also provide support groups with LPP members. We're also an example of how we're going to ameliorate aloneness and isolation in a world where even before what's happening now had become reality and we're trying to use the internet and zoom as a really meaningful way to try and develop relationships with people. One would think that there are always going to be limits on that. Just for example, you're not going to be able to get pregnant and have children that way. I'm pretty sure. Although you now can mail letters, uh, over the internet. So, you know, I don't know what's going to be possible, but we're negotiating that realm of intimacy in a modern world now because we recognize that intimacy and communicate, communicate, uh, community are, are fundamentals to a well-balanced and healthy life. 
You could put me in an island with all the ingredients to make an iPhone, and I would never be able to do it. Right. What I mean by that, of course, is that you can't. We can kind of talk to people about. All right, you want to be alone. Let's first think about how you can be alone in the healthiest way possible, and then also we got a nudge to say there's no doubt you're going to come in contact with other human beings. Now, how are you going to do that in a way that, on one hand, allows you to do it healthily, that's not going to feed into an addiction? And on the other hand, how can you make yourself available for the possibility of connection should it arise? Right. And how are you going to meet people digitally? It's a giant realm. And we're we're at a time where the trends are not... are not positive. Um, the Monitoring the Future study has found that over the last 10 years, adolescents have become progressively more depressed. And uh, one person named Zwangi says that's directly linked in the 2019 Happiness World Happiness Report, directly linked to the fact that people, I think she calls them digital addictions because kids have more and more digital addictions. And so it's, it's an area of concern that, among other things, how do human beings actually meet? I, I, and you're more aware, you, Jack, you have a daughter who goes to, used to go to day, uh, daycare, but you're, you work in a school system, which isn't existing right now. And, you know, everybody talks about homeschooling. Is that possibly what's going to be pervasive in our futures it's we're, we're undergoing potential shifts now that are going to you know require rethinking some of the basics of what we're about but i'm i'm happy that we have a lot of caring coaches i know you and your colleagues all of them are human beings who are able to communicate concern and real feelings for people across digital media and maybe we could be leaders in making that kind of communication and that kind of intimacy a reality. Yeah. Just one last point on that. Right now I'm doing remote teaching, as you mentioned. And one of the things I was just talking about with a podcast guest the other day was parents are kind of wondering, sort of tongue in cheek, some seriously, what are my kids up to at school? Because we have this ostensibly seven hour day. But the things that are that kids are doing, they're getting done in like one or two hours, if that. And Ooh. some are saying, you know, I think I'm learning more. And it begs begs the question, what well, are they getting I mean, out of school? One answer to that question is school is a socialization a- process. Absolutely. And I think that is actually the most valuable lesson we may take out of this entire thing, that, that perhaps the best part of school and the most educational aspect of school is learning about yourself in relation to other people and how to just build yourself up in the world rather than, you know, psych 101 or whatever. I mean, one way we could summarize all that we've been talking about is to say all of life in a way is a negotiation between being able to be satisfied with yourself and being able to be alone and being able to reach out to other people to give something of yourself to other people, to care about other people, and to establish intimacy and community. Um, There's some kind of a scale, and of course what we're arguing is that being independent and strong in yourself is the opposite of people who become addicted to relationships. 
because they're so desperate that they'll put up with any kind of bad behavior and mm. abuse because they don't feel that they can bear to be out on their own. Yeah. And, and we're helping people negotiate that and think it through in a mindful way to, to have the most positive mix.